Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. For those of you who watch Game of Thrones, remember how they always start out with what you missed last week? Well, what you missed last week... Uh, was an introduction to the places that scare you. We're using Pima Chodron's uh, uh, take on, uh, on really how to make both our own lives and the world a better place uh, by doing a couple things. Last week we learned that we actually have to get in touch with the things that we're afraid of. And we talked specifically about three of the areas, general areas that, f- that fear come from. Uh, the first one, uh, fear comes from the idea of change. We're very resistant to change, and often it brings up fear in us when uh, our lives change, when our bodies get older, when things happen. And so we talked about being able to accept life as it comes, as a way of mitigating that fear. Also, last week we talked about the idea of selflessness, and so often we're unable to stand in our own truth, and instead we focus on what other people think about us. Of course, creating comparisons, creating fear, and what we could do about that. And then finally, uh, and and it's interesting, because I I know when I talked about it last week, some of you were like, really? Um, Because the final fear is literally the fear of losing our stuff. It's our over-attachment to the things out in the world, whether it's a job, whether it's a a sweetheart. Um, Oftentimes, we have an over-attachment to the things and the people in our world, bringing up a great deal of fear when something threatens that. So that was last week. This week, we're going to start bolstering our idea of courage in the world. We're going to start transforming fear into faith, if you will. And Pima Chodron says the place to start doing that is compassion. And when I was first reading that, I thought, well, now, wait a minute. This seems fishy to me, and I'll I'll explain my thought processes. It seemed fishy because when I'm in that place of fear, right, I mean, picture yourself if you're in a place of fear. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe uh, a loved one is in trouble, whatever it is. Doesn't it feel like you need compassion? Not that you should be compassionate, but that you need it. And so I'm thinking, now wait a minute, how does this work exactly? Luckily, I remembered the words of Ernest Holmes. Let me try this on, uh, the founder of Science of Mind, let me try this on the size for you. He says, in Help for Today, we can have no understanding of divine compassion unless we ourselves first exercise compassion. The very judgment by which we judge others is always a self-judgment in the eyes of God. It is as if the law of life were giving back to each one of us exactly what we have projected into it. And I went, well, of course, of course. If I want to experience God's grace, first, I have to be willing to be an example of it, both for myself and for others. So, so as soon as I realized that, of course, makes total sense. And in fact, today we have a bit of a treat. We're going to go over three different ways, three new, perhaps new to you, spiritual practices uh, for actually increasing your ability to be compassionate 
for yourself and others. And I'm going to start with one really to focus in on self-compassion. And so Pima Chodron says that, that where we can start and perhaps where we should start in this process is going easy on ourselves. And she recommends as part of your spiritual practice, either in the morning or in the evening, to have some, well, she calls them aspirations, but I would suggest to you that in the science of mind, we call them affirmations uh, around divine forgiveness, around self-love, around letting ourselves off the hook. You know, it's often been said that our own worst enemy is looking back at us in the mirror every single morning, right? Aren't we the ones that tend to be the most critical, the most self-shaming? It's like even when we do a good job, there's the little voice that says, well, you could have been better at it, you could have done it quicker, you could have done it with more style or whatever it is. It's like good enough almost doesn't exist in our personal dialogue, right? And so here's where Pima Choden says to start. And she, she has some examples. And you might think of these in terms of, uh, of either the uh, science of mind affirmation that Ernest Holmes might teach, or for those of you who have studied metaphysics uh, and have studied maybe Emma Curtis Hopkins or Thomas Troward, think of them a little bit as, uh, as affirmations and denials. L- let me give you an, a sample here. So she would say in, in the morning as part of our spiritual practice, focus in on some areas where maybe we're being self-critical. And here's a sample. She said that as part of our internal dialogue or part of a beginning prayer, we might say something like, may I be free of all types of conflict and adversity. So we're really, do you see how we're claiming it like an affirmation of what we want to experience? We're letting go of some of that blame and shame kind of dialogue that goes into our lives and instead claiming it is what we want to have. She says, you might say, uh, may I be at peace and ease in all areas of my life. May I be free of anger, fears, and worries of all kind. And the encouragement uh, is to to take a place in your life where maybe you are being self-blaming or seeing yourself as not good enough or worthy, and then strengthening that by using this as a tool in your daily practice. Her Also, her idea is... And, uh, and, and I believe this is true. I'll, I often get some pushback on this one. I'll be frank about that. Uh, but she says, you really can't be compassionate to others unless you're compassionate by yourself. And she used the, uses the example of being with children, right? They learn by what we do, not what we say. And so we may be compassionate in our words to other people, but if they see that we're hard on ourselves, when they see that we're self-critical, when they see that we're pretty ruthless with how we show up in the world, they realize right on that our compassion to them has a load with it, has strings attached, right? Because our true self, there's a belief in there in not good enough. And so if we project that on ourselves, only too easy for the other people in our lives when we extend a hand in compassion to recognize, uh-uh, right? This isn't as real as it would be or she or he would treat himself that way. 
So compassion for self first. And, uh, and I love this idea of adding into our spiritual practice a little time of, you might even think of it as self-compassion in terms of a review of really what you would rather see for yourself. So if you're having financial difficulties, may I be financially free. May all areas of my life uh, bring abundance and love. If you're having trouble with some kind of, uh, I don't know, a relationship issue, um, may love be the watchword of my life. You know, and, and of course, tailor it uh, into phrases that are meaningful and compa- the way you would want to hear it as though a compassionate friend were speaking right to you. All right, the second form of building our compassion uh, I think deserves a joke uh, to get us started here. And uh, oh, and my gosh, it's a stinker. You wait. So a very compassionate Texas lady was driving across a high bridge outside San Antonio one day. As she neared the top of the bridge, she noticed a young man just fixing to jump. She stopped the car, rolled down the window and said, please don't jump. Think of your dear mother and father. Well, mom and dad are both dead, he said sadly, and turned back to the railing. Wait, she said, think of your wife and children. My wife left me, he said, and I have no children. Well, then, she said, finally grasping at her Texas heritage, think of the Alamo. (laughs) And the little boy, the, the young man, looked confused for a moment and said, the Alamo? What's the Alamo? Well, bless your heart, she said. Go ahead and jump. Well, I told you it was a stinker. <laughs> now, the reason, <laughs> the reason why I picked that joke is because sadly, we're like the lady for Texas. All of the studies shown around philanthropic giving is that we give to people who have similar values and even similar appearances to ourselves. I know. The very people who may need our compassion the most, unless they look like us, unless they're dressed like us, and unless they share roughly the same value systems that we do, do you know what the average American does? We look the other way. And so I... I hesitate with this next spiritual practice for you because it may be difficult. I've been doing it this week and I will tell you there were moments when it made me feel ashamed of myself. But the idea is when you're in one of those positions where you look away rather than allow yourself to be compassionate for someone. And let me give you a few examples. You're all probably getting on the freeway to go home from here. And guess what is at the entrance to that freeway ramp? Uh, Certainly on Rosa Parks, and I'm pretty sure down on Alberta as well, you will see a gentleman with a sign. And most of us look the other way. Another example, um, I do a lot of my uh, shopping at, at Winco, 
and I was uh, noticing a young woman in line in front of me trying to use her food stamp card, uh, and it was, uh, for whatever reason, it wasn't working. And so she and the, uh, the, the checkout person were negotiating on how many groceries she could get for what was left on her card and how much change. And there was a gentleman in between the two of us um, that was really angry that he was having to sit there and wait. You can see where I'm going with this. So the suggestion that Pima Chodron has is when you're in one of those situations, and most typically it's going to be with someone who does not look like you or who you would not see yourself in, she suggests that we picture ourselves in exactly the same situation. You're the young woman trying to pay with the food stamp card, and it's not working. You're the gentleman standing on the freeway exit just trying to make enough money um, so that he can have some food before he goes to the shelter that night. You're the person in desperate need. You know, we had a, a well, first of all, we had a lovely movie night on Friday night. Uh, we showed the City of Joy and had a lovely time. And one of the charities that we were collecting for that night was for Dress for Success Oregon. And here is a, a perfect example of this particular kind of compassion at work. So think of yourself as a young woman who's been out of the job market, maybe doesn't have a, a good set of skills for jobs that are open right now, and you're living in your car. Can you imagine in that situation how unsuccessful you would be trying to pull together a job interview, right? Where would you have had a shower that morning? How, how would you manage to have clothes that look appropriate for a job interview? Has there been anyone to help you work through the interview questions as a friend or a helper, right? Uh, a situation like, uh, like Dress for Success, you would hope that they wouldn't be necessary. You would hope that the compassion of the employer would be such that they would see this person desperately in need of work and that, that my heart would be extended to them and that would be all that was necessary. Well, the truth, of course, actually the opposite. Unless a person applying for a job looks like they don't need it, they are unlikely to get it. So I'm asking you, as part of this practice of compassion, and, and what's interesting, and I did say that it brought up some shame for me, especially around the, the, the gentleman, it's usually men, but not always, standing out in front of the freeway asking for money. Um, I realized that probably for a year, I will actually pull my car so that I can't quite see them. And that brought up a lot of shame for me. Because what I know is, whether or not I give the money is one thing, but to deny a human being existence is just wrong. So whether I'm motivated to have a bag of apples or some, some spare $5 bills, we'll see where that goes. But I'm telling you, um, starting this last week, um, I make sure that I can see them and I put myself in their position. Now the reason we do this, and, and, and Pima Children is clear about this, it isn't to guilt trip us into doing something, it's to prepare us to be compassionate when the time comes. 
to know that there are people in such need and to have an open heart to doing something when the time is right doesn't mean that you always have to give a $5 bill away to someone at the freeway entrance. It doesn't mean that you have to step forward to the woman in the checkout line and say, let me pay the difference. I mean, you may feel like doing that and that would be a swell thing to do. But what it is, it's preparing you so that when there's legislation up, that might affect homeless people, that you have a sense of what that would be like and you're willing to vote from your heart, not just your head. We're doing that so that when the, the occasion arises and city council members can, can do things that will make a difference, that we have a better understanding of what it is to truly be compassionate so that our votes can count, our, our letters to officials can count. We're having a considered opinion, right? Rather than just an opinion. Okay, on to number three. And I think we'll have some fun with this. Uh, first of all, I need to do some explaining, if you will. Uh, I'm gonna teach you how to do an ancient uh, practice called Tan Glen. And I bet there's maybe one or two people in here who have maybe done Tan Glen before. Any, any takers on that? Oh, just, wow. Just Nancy, all right. Well, we'll ha we will have some fun with this. Uh, Tan Glenn uh, translates to in and out, and it's referring to the breath. And the idea of it is we will breathe in something that isn't right in the world, and we'll start with ourselves again. We breathe in something that isn't right in the world, and then we transform it through divine grace in our own thinking, in our own mind. And on the out breath, we breathe out something that is whole and beautiful. Now let me give you an example. Um, so I've been doing it this week as a reminder to myself. And, uh, and of course I started with myself. So I picked something that maybe wasn't going entirely the way I like. And uh, so on the in breath, I would call that into my awareness. I, I breathe in the trouble with politics in America today. I breathe in the sense of division in politics. I allow the divine to transform it, and I breathe out unity for all. I breathe out the freedom and compassion for all Americans. So, so that was just a, a sample that I did. And the idea is, again, on the in-breath, uh, we're going to use our own consciousness, if you will, God's grace working through us to transform this. Now, you might say, Larry, this is interesting, but it doesn't really sound like science of mind. How does this fit in with science of mind? But if you think about it, you're breathing in the denial. You're basically saying, you know, here's this condition that I deny has an influence on me. I breathe it in and I allow divine grace to, cha to change it. And then on my out breath, I'm doing a good old science of mind affirmation. And so you're really pairing in two well-known science of mind techniques and doing it with your breath. It's kind of a cool thing. So let me use, uh, uh, just to cut, in fact, I've written down a, a few examples that I've been doing this week. I breathe in Portland's housing crisis. I breathe out safety security, and freedom for everyone. I breathe in the political unrest and divisiveness of the United States of America. I breathe out unity, peace, and compassion. I breathe in strife and war in the Middle East. I breathe out peace and love for everyone. 
And the idea, um, as uh, Pima Children outlines it, is start with yourself first. We're going to extend that level of compassion to things that are not going well for yourself first. So if you want, um, follow along with us here. Think of something going on in your life right now that's troublesome, whether it's uh, friction at work, whether it's a relationship that could be improved upon. Uh, Maybe there's a health issue that you're faced with or something going on at work. Breathe in the idea of this being a problem. Allow the divine to just transform it into something positive and then breathe it out as you would like to see it. This is now resolved in the world. There's now harmony between me and my loved one, whatever it might be. So in your mind, picture some issue again that's not going well. Breathe it in. Allow divine grace to transform it and breathe it out, thinking to yourself, I breathe out unity, I breathe out abundance, whatever it is you're wanting to experience. It's really a way of personalizing our affirmations that we might make. Now, I would bet nearly all of you have done affirmations before, right? Where you've written it down on a, on, on a sticky or brought it into your um, prayer practice in the morning. Sometimes I know people will put little note cards on the refrigerator and throughout the house. Here we're really focusing on it and, and, uh, and giving it our full attention, knowing that the divine resources, the divine forgivingness of God can transform it. So it's a lovely practice. Then once you have done it for yourself, and the whole practice can take maybe less than five minutes, really. So you do a few for yourself, then maybe you extend the Tan Glen to uh, some loved ones that are in trouble. Uh, Maybe you know someone who is uh, under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Uh, Maybe a neighbor is having financial trouble. You you breathe in their trouble and release it, and then you move on uh, maybe to your neighborhood or your city. So you start with self-compassion first, move it to someone that you love and know, then move it out into the larger community. Um, Okay. So a quick recap of what we've talked about today. We've learned three techniques for cultivating compassion, and in particular, compassion for ourselves because we know that's so important. We learn to develop affirmations of compassion for ourselves and for others uh, built into our daily practice. We've learned to put ourselves into the position of people who are less fortunate. And that one, uh, you can take with you out in the world. And when you see something happening or some person uh, in unfortunate circumstances, put yourself in it, allow your own compassion to well up. It's part of our our compassion training. Uh, You may be called upon to act on it. You may not. Either way, we're growing that muscle of compassion in ourselves. And then finally, we learned the ancient practice of Tan Glen, energe- uh, energetically transforming fear into faith. So guess what your homework is? You got three options at least. That's better than some weeks, right? Uh, in particular, though, uh, I think a real easy one is simply to be more aware of when you see people in less than favorable circumstances out in the world, make sure instead of turning the other way that you actually allow yourself to give them compassion through the art, if you will, of putting yourself in their position. And you may be called upon to do something differently, maybe not, that's okay. 
So I'm going to close with a final quote from Pima Chodron and, of course, a prayer. She says, standing in the checkout line, I might notice the defiant teenager in front of me and make the affirmation, may he be free of suffering and its causes. In the elevator with a stranger, I might notice her shoes, her hands, the expression on her face. I contemplate the fact that just like me, she doesn't want strife in her life. Just like me, she has worries too. When I practice these affirmations on the spot, I no longer feel so separated from others. When I read in the news that someone I don't know was in a car crash, I try not to just pass on to the next article. I generate compassion for her and her family as if she were my best friend. Even more challenging when you're ready is to make these affirmations for someone perhaps who has been violent towards others. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness. It is this thing that I call God. And what I know about God is it is that largest container of compassion. God is always willing to extend a hand to us in need through the power of our positive thinking, through the blessings that God bestows on us. There is always the ability for us to turn around a situation, for us to find the light and love in any situation And through claiming it, through reinforcing it in our own minds and making decisions that go with that, I know that our negative circumstances turn around. And even as this gift from God is given to us, I know that we in turn have the ability to give that level of compassion to others. And whether it's through picturing ourselves in other circumstances, whether it's through affirmations, whether it's through this practice of Tonglen, I know that our ability to be compassionate, expands. And so for each person in this room, I know that capability is there. For each person in this room, I know that that divine compassion is flowing through each one of us, allowing us to open our hearts to ourselves, allowing ourselves to open our hearts to others, allowing ourselves to firmly in our own mind know that there is a sufficiency of love, of light, of joy, of peace, of abundance, of beauty, of harmony, knowing that all of these are infinite supply and that we extend our hand of compassion equally to others. And so knowing this, I give great thanks. Thanks for these spiritual practices. Thanks for the ability of each one of us to reach out our hands in love and compassion. And so I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself, I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.com. Dot us slash donate. 
Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.